Isn't ASMR supposed to be relaxing, though? Maybe yeah. we should find some kind of relaxing topic to talk about. I don't know what. Saxophones. <laughs> um... <laughs> Good morning, good day, and good evening. And good night. Good night. Welcome. To episode 11. Wow, look at that. Every time we're just ast- astonished <laughs> at the number. <laughs> wow, it, it increased by one. Oh my gosh. I, re- I guess that's how that works. It's, um, I guess it's just surprising because it all just started as an idea and here we are. Uh, welcome back. If you have listened before if it's your first episode with us welcome i said that in reverse <laughs> i am margo and i'm elizabeth and this is the insomnia report did i say that already i don't know it's fine okay it's fine we talk about things that keep us up at night yep and we're just two friends and roommates so this week is our third round of true crime oh boy which is really interesting and really sad. Anyway, so I will go ahead and light the candle if you can tell me. I think I know what it is, but I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. What has kept you up this week? I mean, why give up on this trend now when I could talk about The Bachelorette? <laughs> <laughs> I sent Elizabeth this meme today. And I seriously, I laugh for like five minutes because it's like Bennett has American Girl doll. <laughs> oh, but Bennett is so creepy. Bennett is a hundred percent a serial killer, which mm. fits in nicely with today's topics. Yep. But if I was on a date with a man and he tried to explain emotional intelligence to me and how he checks off like all four levels of them i would be like no (laughs) like you obviously don't like (laughs) if you need to explain this to me this is a red flag for sure for sure but like off topic like for sure bennett is a serial killer and each week it keeps getting more proven (laughs) however i will say ben is my absolute favorite Mm. i love him so much i'm sorry is that too soon (laughs) no me too ben is also my favorite i love him he just has really good energy, yes. like kind energy. He's just, I just want to give him a hug and like spend all night talking about life with him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <sighs> For me personally, since you asked, <laughs> that sounded so bitchy. I'm sorry. What's kept nope. you up at night? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's been a long week. Okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh-huh. Well, I was in a meeting and Elizabeth texts me and she's like, are you in a meeting? And I go, yeah, why? And then she goes, okay. And then I come out of my meeting like 10 minutes later. I'm like, what's up? And she goes, um, and she was like a little, a little shaken, a little, a little shooketh, if you will. And apparently the lid to our recycling bin, which was securely on the bin, flipped over and was 
on in the middle of our kitchen floor yeah that was really creepy because there was nothing like the amount of force that it would have required to flip it over like that like the angle like we recreated it like we tried to like we had some other things for like trash or whatever around it that and we like tried hitting it a couple of times with the other stuff in case something fell but and there was like nothing around it or whatever and plus it's like a recycling bin with the lid on Mm -hmm. and it had been I don't know yeah it was just it was really creepy so we saged the entire apartment at two in the afternoon so it was really fun and now the recycling bin lives in a different corner of our kitchen yeah just so we can keep an eye on it right so it's not like okay like maybe i i don't know i can't explain it we we've had that recycling bin for over a year and Mm. it was creepy it was creepy and weird things have been going on around here like we catch evps as we mentioned in last week's episode and it's just like yeah it's fun. The other day I heard like tapping on my window, but I don't have like a tree next to it. So that was cute. Um, I guess it was a bird or like, something or something. So it's great. And uh, yeah, yeah. but I checked and all the doors are locked. So thank you so much for telling me that right now. I yeah, no, I made sure to do it ahead of time so we wouldn't have to be like, wait. <laughs> thank you. Yep. Oh, that was a good one. Beautiful. Is that your new strike paper? Yes, I replaced it. Wow. Amazing. Can't even see if I'm lighting it. Okay. So you go first. Mm-hmm. Ah! Oh my God, the candle just popped. Okay, sorry. Poppy pop. Tell me about murder. Okay. Trigger warning, obviously, for probably the entire episode for violence and murder. And sexual assault. Oh. So this week we are going international. Hey. Yeah. Leaving the US of A and going to my favorite country. Austria. Austria. Hey. hey. Guten Tag. <laughs> Servus. That's the one. All right. So today... We are talking about Austria's most famous serial killer. Yay! Yeah, okay, you know who that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've actually never, I never listened to any other podcast talking about him. Mm-hmm. Even though everyone I know is like, Elizabeth, oh my God, how could you not have heard of Jack Unterweger? Unterweger. Like, <laughs> um, you have to, oh my God. So I've heard about him from other people, but um, This yeah. was like your first time digging into it. Yeah yeah okay cool i did watch in my research a really bad documentary on him where (laughs) all the actors like who were trying to play austrian people were obviously american and like their voice audio was kind of faded out and the whole time they're just looking at the camera going yeah yeah (laughs) Mm, okay yeah yeah and or sometimes yevel <laughs> or they'd be talking in the background but it was like total gibberish like like that's not those aren't words anyway <laughs> it was pretty low budget but very informative well that's good as long as that gets across i guess <laughs> yes okay so as mentioned i will be discussing johan aka jack untavega so first we're going to dig into Jack Unterweger's past. His childhood was a rocky one. He was born 
1950 in Austria. His mom was a waitress from Vienna, and she may or may not have been a sex worker. That's unknown. And his father was also named Jack, and his parents, um, who was an American soldier in Europe, and his parents met in Trieste, Italy, which is where my grandpa was stationed, actually. That's cool. Yeah, it's very nice there. He never met his father, and his mother was kept getting arrested. So he was sent to live with his grandfather, Ferdinand, as a child, but his grandfather used Jack to help him steal farm animals. No. And Is he... that why you did the yodel and chicken before this? No, that's it not why. It was unintentional. It was okay. unintentional. I'm sorry. <laughs> before this, we watched a video of a man yodeling with chickens. <laughs> I can post the link in the description. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty wholesome. It, it, it's great. It added a year back to One my, of my life. favorite videos. It was great. Okay, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Mubby. So Jack described his childhood in his autobiography as being a victim of a brutal childhood with a drunk, bumbling grandfather. Bumbling. Okay. Mm. Jack worked as a waiter when he got older. But between 1966 and 1974, he was convicted 16 times 16. for different crimes, mostly theft-related, but also for pimping and sexual assault. As with most offenders who commit crimes like this, they escalated, and he committed his first murder in 1974 when he was 24. Oh. He was visiting a friend in Germany. Uh, who may or may not have been his girlfriend, I'm not sure. But they met 18-year-old Margaret Schaefer um, when she was walking home from a Christmas party. And I don't know to what extent his friend was complicit in this, but I think they did this together. I'm not sure. They tied up Margaret um, in her parents' house, stole her money, and then brought her to the forest where... They hit her in the head and neck with a steel rod ah. and then strangled her with the wire of a bra. No. No, the bra wire. No. Yeah. That is such a slap in the face mm. on top. Oh, my God. Yeah. So this is where it all began, oh. and this would become his modus operandi for his later murders. But he was caught and was sentenced to life in prison in 1976. And in 1973, a year before this happened, he was already suspected to have murdered a 23-year-old woman in Austria, but this was never proven, and the investigation was closed after he was sentenced to life in prison yeah. for Margaret's murder. So it may or may not have been his first mor murder. It's the first one he was convicted, he of. Was convicted of. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how could he be your serial killer if he was sentenced to life in prison? Did he get out? Yes. <laughs> oh, Jack, while he was in prison, decided to become a writer. Oh, okay. He started with a volume of poetry, then went on to write his autobiography. The English title is Purgatory or the Trip to Prison, Report of a Guilty Man. And that was turned into a documentary in 1998. He worked on the script. Oh, okay. He was very busy writing. He wrote... Uh, numerous stories for Austrian public radio, including children's stories, like children's bedtime stories. Ooh. That really creeped me out. I was like, oh my God, like, what is he writing about? 
And these children are listening to these stories before they go to bed. Jeez. That is some extra level of messed up. Yeah. Um, That's really weird. That gave me gooseies. Yeah, mm. I didn't like that. Yeah. I didn't like that. In the U.S., he was known as Jack the Writer. So he was very actually well-known at this point. Because... So instead of Jack the Ripper, it was Jack the Writer. <laughs> ah, I didn't even get that connection. I, I don't know if that was it. I don't not. know, That's but yeah. That's just the first thing that popped in my head. Yeah, he was Jack the Writer. He published a literary magazine from prison for four years, and it featured a lot of prominent Austrian writers. In 1989, he won a literature prize, uh, specifically for people who write from prison, which is very niche, but I think that's cool that they have that. Yeah. Not cool that he was involved, but anyway, in 1985, people started a campaign to pardon him and to release him from prison Mm. the public knew him he was kind of a celebrity and the people who wrote for his magazine who read his writing writers and artists and journalists they were really amping up this support for him this includes some famous authors like Elfriede Jelinek and Gunther Grass and yeah they were very influential and had a lot of support in society but he had to at least serve 15 years that was like the court mandated minimum Mm. so he did he served 15 years and then was released in 1990 okay and once he was released his autobiography was taught in schools and yeah his children's bedtime stories were performed on the radio and he he became a celebrity, honestly. And he was seen as, like, a really good example of re-socialization. So, like, rehabilitating people in prison. His artist friends said something like, art redeemed him. Okay. <laughs> and he actually hosted television programs himself that discussed rehabilitation. And he worked as a reporter for Austrian public... Um, public news, and he reported on his own murders uh, at one point, which that, we will get to. So did he... Ooh, ooh that's a twist. But, I know. I mean, I'm all for, like, re- rehabilitation programs in prison and, you know, people being able to do more than just sit behind a cell. So I guess I understand, like, the perspective of that. So did they obviously not... Were they only aware of the one murder at the time? Okay, so that would also be... Yeah, at the time yeah. he only committed the one. Okay. Or at least they knew about there There was the other one. Got it. Okay, go on. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. Like, I, I do definitely think there needs to be some sort of, you know, prison reform. I'm all for having more extensive rehabilitation programs and things like that. But I think it's interesting if you, like look at the first crime he committed how cold-blooded and motiveless it is and then be like this person can be rehabilitated right that is an excellent point i don't know it's it's i don't know well i've i've watched the entirety of um the documentary i am a killer and that definitely has opened my eyes to that sort of thing like some of them are horrible Mm -hmm. but some of them are really just like look i regret it like i don't whatever like it's interesting, I understand, but 
you're right when it is so cold-blooded i don't i think i don't know i don't know yeah. it's hard to mm. Mm. It, it is interesting yeah maybe a topic for another episode so after he was released from prison in 1990 30 years ago oh my god it was 30 years ago Jeez. yeah <laughs> yes it was yes <laughs> After the year after his release, he earned the title of serial killer because he killed eight women. Oh, yeah. So he wasn't reborn, or he was not, in fact, rehabilitated. All women, just to get this over with, they were all found face down in various states of undress and were all strangled with their pantyhose. Oh, and all but one of them were sex workers. Oh. And the one who wasn't a sex worker was known to trade sex for favors. Oh. So their names were Blanca Bokova. She was from Czechoslovakia, and she was killed there. And then seven more people were killed in Austria. Brunhilde Masser, Heidi Hammerer, Elfriede Schrempf, Silvia Zagler, Sabina Moitzel, Karin Eroglu Sladki and Regina Prem. So he was killing a lot of people in a relatively short time span. And after the first four murders, the Austrian police were like, these are kind of similar. Like mm-hmm. they were probably committed by the same person. But they really didn't have experience investigating these types of crimes because nothing like that had really happened before in Austria. Mm. And they didn't have any suspects. Well, that will make it difficult. Exactly. The lead detective was this guy named Ernst Geiger, and they did get their first lead when a retired policeman read about these murders in a newspaper, and they reminded him of a case that he solved. Wait a minute. In 1974. <laughs> he has like a flashback and like everything. And like, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And he called them and he said, yes, this reminds me very much of Jack Wintervey. Who had Jack the just, writer. <laughs> yes. Who had just been paroled. Convenient. Hmm. Hmm. And what was the span of these murders? These all happened in 1990. Okay. So there were eight in 1990. Like, were they over a couple of weeks or a couple of months? Do you know? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know the exact dates for all of them. Okay. I want to say... Honestly, I want to say... From September through December. Okay. So it's a pretty short Oof. few months there. Mm-hmm. So now they had Unterweger as a suspect. And the police started to look at him and kept an eye on him. They couldn't really find any evidence to do anything about it. Okay. So the police are looking into it. They have him as a suspect. And then he goes to Los Angeles because... He was hired by an Austrian magazine to write about Los Angeles crime and the differences between prostitution in the U.S. and Europe. That's an oddly specific <laughs> I wonder article. who suggested that. <laughs> okay, time to read the suggestion jar. Oh, I guess I'll volunteer. <laughs> so I have a pitch for a story, and I All think... Right, uh, picture this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he did, and he went. And this was in 1991. Okay. So he gets to Los Angeles and he even meets up with the police and is like, show me 
where everything's going on. So he went on a ride along with the Los Angeles Police Department. They showed him where the red light district was, you know, where the prostitutes hang out. It's all for his story. I feel like I'm watching like a horror movie and I'm like, no. I know, right? Like we all know what's going to happen. He's the murderer. Yeah. Apparently at this time, he told his editor that he wanted to write in a socially conscious way and give a voice to the voiceless. Oh, how humble, how bold of him, how heroic. I, I couldn't find the right word mm. to use. How, mm. I know. how brave of him. So, Look at him. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Pathetic. So he's seeking out sex workers. And why is he doing this? Because he wants to kill them. When he's in Los Angeles, he murders three sex workers. <sighs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Is he targeting sex workers because his mom might have been one and it was like a, he had a bad chat? Like what or did his grandpa like what 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 what? Why? I don't know. I mean, my first thought is always like, you know, a lot of murders target them because they're like vulnerable. Yeah, or, they're vulnerable yeah. and they might have an easier time getting away with it or something. Yeah, I know. I, that's Which is horrible. It's, yeah, right. It's it horrible. So okay. And in many parts of Europe, including Austria sex work is legal Mm -hmm. and regulated in the u.s obviously it isn't but yeah he murdered three sex workers their names were shannon exley irene rodriguez and peggy booth and all were strangled with their own bras and they were all strangled with the same knot that he would tie Mm. And their bras, in order to be used like that, had to be dismantled in a certain way. Oh. So all of them were dismantled the same way. So then the police department was like, okay, like the same person like committed all of these crimes. Right. Jack Unterweger, when he was in Los Angeles, was staying at the Cecil Hotel. Ah! Shout out to your story on Elisa Lamb. Mm-hmm. And the Cecil Hotel was located pretty nearby where these women would like were known to be patrolling. hanging out patrolling yeah. but yeah exactly lurking. i i no, not lurking you know what yeah, I, mean. I know what you mean i'm not good with words today so pardon me no worries so after he kills these women he goes back to austria and the police are investigating him still they're putting all these pieces together Back in Austria, Unterweger was telling people that the police were trying to frame him because they were just bad at their jobs <laughs> and they wanted to find, like, a suspect. Um, no, you're just ignorant. It wasn't me. I'm right? just a tourist. Yeah. I'm just a journalist on a mission. <sighs> it's, yeah, it's weird because he was going there as a reporter and reporting on the murders, which he committed. That's- it's so messed up. It's like you can't write this, you know? It's just yeah. What the what the actual hell? Yeah. It's really it's really weird. It's so malicious. It's so just Yeah. Ugh. And I wonder if it was a way because I know some serial killers like to achieve some kind of fame or something. I yeah, some if... people do it. Maybe. I don't know. Or it... maybe he just wanted to cover his tracks. I can't tell if he was like he was completely aware of what he was doing and his plan or I, you know, I, who knows? Who knows? Hmm. Not me. Back in Austria, they're investigating, but it's difficult to investigate him because his friends were in the media 
he was friends with powerful people and no one really believed that he could be this killer he's a changed guy he was rehabilitated art changed him but he could be traced to each murder location um and at first it's like well because he was covering them right as a journalist but he was going to those places before the murders happened and he was even in prague when blanca bokova was murdered in prague so it's like his timeline matched up really well in october 1991 he was questioned for the first time and he admitted that he hung out with prostitutes for his stories and that maybe he paid them for sex a few times but he had never met the victims didn't know anything and so he was let go and he had lots of public support because at this time he's still basically a celebrity However, investigators searched his old car and found a hair fragment, and the DNA matched Blanca Bokova, the woman who was murdered in Prague. But they didn't feel like that proved that he killed her, because it just proved that she had been in his car at some point, right? They needed stronger evidence. Right, because she was a sex worker or whatever. Yeah. So the investigators questioned more Austrian prostitutes, and they told him... And they told them that Jack was a pretty regular customer and that he made them wear handcuffs during sex Mm. and that one saw him approach her friend, Heidi Hammerer, who had been one of the victims. They got a warrant for his apartment, found nothing really. They found a few fibers, like weird fibers, but that's really it. And then they're like, okay, we need like actual, we need really big help. Can you say that? We need, no. We need a lot of help. We need big help. Bigly help. Huge. I need huge help. Huge help. I need help and it's going to be huge. Help me. The biggest help. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) So the, the Austrians needed help. They got in touch with the FBI since they had had experience with serial killers already. Specifically this guy, Greg McCrary, who was an expert in criminal profiling. So they touched base with the L.A. police because they had similar murders there. Hmm. Wonder why. And so then the Austrians went to Virginia, to Quantico, I think, to meet up with the FBI people. And this guy, Greg McCrary, had this theory that the killer was killing these women because he had fragile masculinity. Because, sorry, this is like kind of PG-13 maybe rated r but on the murders or on the victims they didn't find any semen so he thought that maybe he like couldn't get it up or something or like couldn't perform and that made him angry and then he would kill them but who like that was never obviously proven but right but it's an interesting theory Mm -hmm. but this guy mccurry confirmed that there was one killer behind all of these 11 murders 11 i know and then Jack Unterweger's timeline matched perfectly with all of the crimes he was around when all of them occurred. And then they found fibers on the victims that matched the ones they found in his apartment. So it was like a pretty solid case at this point. For sure. Mm-hmm. They issued a warrant for Jack Unterweger's arrest, but he left his apartment. By that point, he was on the run with his girlfriend, Bianca, who was 18. Huh. Bianca, no. 
Yeah, his girlfriend Bianca was 18 and he was like 30 or 20 years older than her or something. It was really gross. I don't like that. Yeah. Well, I I just don't like that she's with a serial killer. I don't either. I don't either. (laughs) The whole thing is just really messy. It's all bad. It's all bad. They had a warrant. They were looking for him. He was on the run. And his girlfriend, Bianca's mother, actually helped police track them down because she kept calling her and asking for money. So they went through Switzerland, France, and the U.S., and finally U.S. Marshals arrested him in February 1992 in Miami. Okay. hmm And while he was on the run, he kept calling Austrian news stations and saying, like, I'm innocent, and he said if they withdrew the arrest warrant, he would return to Austria and tell them everything. But they obviously didn't. <laughs> Anyway, so then he was extradited to Austria in May 1992 and charged with 11 homicides, even though they had occurred in three countries. In Austrian law, you can charge someone for murders they committed in different countries. Okay. Like, he's still an Austrian. He's responsible for all of them kind of thing. Mm. The public still really loved him. And, yeah, there was a lot of support for him still the american investigators went to vienna to testify at the trial which lasted two and a half months and the jury found him guilty of nine murders what about the other two they were too badly decomposed to know for sure but it's presumed that he killed them too okay a psychiatric examination concluded that unterweger had narcissistic personality disorder makes sense Right. And on June 29th, 1994, he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Mm -hmm. But that was unacceptable to Unterweger. He had been saying this whole time he was never going to go back to prison. And so he decided that he would kill himself. Ah, no. Mm -hmm. That is my... I hate when they do because there's Mm -hmm. never justice. It's like with um, Mm -hmm. Epstein or... Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. cowards yeah oh one like side note at his trial his defense said how can you know for sure that the same person killed all these 11 women because the ones in los angeles were strangled with their bras and the ones in europe were strangled with their pantyhose well it turns out according to investigators european prostitutes at the time did not wear bras well there you go so there okay. you go and ones in los angeles apparently did that is interesting but either way it's like not a very remarkable distinction like it's still that's, some kind that's of underwear bad. that's a bad argument <laughs> yeah it was, i don't know who hired that guy but well i feel like it's hard because it's obvious that he's guilty but you know right who's to say well, what do i know i'm not an attorney so i mean either <laughs> any attorneys want to weigh in Kelly. (laughs) So, yeah, Jack Unterweger committed suicide in prison uh, hours after his verdict. Hours. He hung himself uh, with a rope made from shoelaces Uh and a cord from the trousers of a track suit. Track suit. Track suit. And he used the same knot that he used on all of his victims. Oh, well, that ties it all together then. Yeah, it does. I did not mean the (laughs) God, I, uh, yeah. I didn't. It was incidental. It's okay. It's okay. Facts. 
accidental. But what's kind of interesting is that he's still technically innocent under uh, Austrian law because the verdict was never carried out. See, that that makes me so angry. That it makes my blood boil. Yeah, and before his death, he said he was going to appeal. And so, yeah, he's technically innocent. But one article was saying that journalists are allowed to write about him as a, as a serial killer without consequences without or... saying like presumed serial killer or anything or like no. alleged just because right like it's pretty certain yeah so yeah it's probably the most famous one of the most famous european cases and pretty widespread in popular culture john malkovich played him in a stage play oh okay it's kind of weird fun fact um there are many movies and documentaries made about Jack Unta Vega, and there's also a Falco song that references him vaguely. Do you know Falco? Yeah. Like, yeah. not, like, I don't listen to them daily, but I, yeah. 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 So. There you have it. There you have it. Who? Mm. Just so wild. Yeah. Ugh. It's so interesting. God. I, well, rest in peace to all those sex workers. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's terrible. That's terrible. All right. All right. Tell me something. This one is kind of weird because it's not similar, but a little like, mm-hmm. no, okay. Okay. Not at all, but like all right. some, not, just listen. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> just tell me. Just tell me. Um, so this is actually a celebrity murder. Have you ever heard of Bob Crane? No. He was a famous Hollywood star who was well-known for his role in the show Hogan's Heroes. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay. Wait, Um, like Hulk Hogan? No. See, it's funny because... Random side story, but when I was in, like, middle school, I would watch MTV and VH1 or whatever, and I remember there was a show called Hogan Knows Best, and I would watch it, like, from time to time. It was horrible. It was, like, a horrible reality show. There was like a guilty pleasure thing. And then I saw Hogan's Heroes on like TV land or whatever. And I was like, oh, like, I don't know. I turned it on and it was definitely not the same thing. But anyway, Hogan's Heroes is a show that ran for six years from mid 60s to early 70s. And it was one of those like sitcoms that had not sitcom. It was one of those shows that had, like, the typical corny jokes and a bad laugh track, and he played the title character, Colonel Hogan, and him and his fellow allies in the show were prisoners of war in Nazi Germany, but it was a comedy, and it was actually, it got, like, a, when I was researching, it has, like, an 8 out of 10 on IMDb, Wow. So, so they, you know, try to sabotage, like, missions, and they you know, mess with the their captors, and it was kind of a silly show. But it was insanely popular, and it was a very successful comedy show, and he was even nominated for two Emmys for his performance. Wow. So Bob Crane was also a radio personality, and he hosted the number one radio show where he hosted guests like Marilyn Monroe, Bob Hope, Frank Sinatra, just to name a few. Uh, and this was a show that he had before he transitioned into acting. Additionally, kind of going off that timeline, a little backstory about him. 
He was in the National Guard and he was honorably discharged after two years. He married his high school sweetheart. Her name was Anne Terzane, and they had three children together. Cute. While he was on the show, he was romantically involved with a cast member, and her name was Patricia Wilson. She played Hilda on the show, and then him and Anne were divorced after 20 years of marriage. Wow. Um, I wonder why. <laughs> well, that will do it, I guess. Mm. Later that year, Bob and Patricia did get married, and then they had another child together, and then they adopted another daughter. Um, but anyway, that was kind of just like a side background of him. Mm-hmm. So despite the success of the show, Hogan's Heroes, he really couldn't build up from there. As I mentioned, it ran for six years, and it ended in 71 so afterwards, he started a few different movies. Uh, he was in a Disney movie called Super Dad. I had never seen it or heard of it. Apparently, it wasn't that great. And Is then, it animated? No, it's like a live action. Oh. And then another movie called Gus, but like they weren't, you know, box office hits by any means. He was on like a few odd shows here and there as guest stars. So he was on the Dick Van Dyke show. He was, you know, just popped up here and there. So ultimately, he wasn't happy with the roles he was getting, and then he decided to move to dinner theater and live theater. But back in 75, he went to TV again, and he started a series called The Bob Crane Show. The Bob Crane Show didn't get great reviews, and after 13 episodes, it was canceled. So he returned to theater, and every so often, like I said, he would just guest star every now and again, but he couldn't get back up to that level of fame he peaked he peaked which i mean there's nothing wrong with that but yeah it's like taylor lautner with twilight like he hasn't been in anything <laughs> i know that. in his instagram bio he has an email like asking for like professional inquiries <laughs> it's really sad that is kind of sad <laughs> poor guy ah oh, him and his muscles okay <laughs> so in 1978, he is on tour for a dinner theater production for a show called Beginner's Luck, and it was kind of like a romantic comedy type thing, and a little more on that later, but I want to take a sidestep and also introduce you to someone named John Carpenter. So John Carpenter was a sales manager for Sony, so he you know, would either sell or like rent out equipment, or he would sell like video cameras you know can't i mean it was like the 70s so it's not like everyone had one on their phone or whatever and he was kind of like an arty guy but he was a sales manager him and bob met while someone one of his bob's co-stars from the show like introduced them and and they became pretty good friends so carpenter and crane i guess i don't know how this came up in conversation don't know how they decided to get this little how together. Like, some guys like to go to baseball games. Some guys like to go, you know, play poker. They picked up a hobby where Carpenter would help Crane film and videotape sexual endeavors. <sighs> <laughs> just guys, you know, just two just dudes hanging out. bros <laughs> doing bro things. Like, like, with each other or with other people? 
So <laughs> they would go to bars and Crane would easily be able to pick up women because he was a celebrity and he would introduce Carpenter as his manager. So I guess they were able to get girls easily. So they would be like take them back to like his place and then uh, Carpenter would take photos or film the sexual encounters as they were happening. This guy was still married at the time, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this continued while Hogan's Heroes was still airing and for a long time afterwards as well. So just a little little side sprinkle there. All right. Mm-hmm. That's really weird for those like random women too. Yeah. I guess it's just like That's a celebrity so thing or I... I don't know, but I did read that it seemed to be consensual just because Mm -hmm. it's, like, they were, like, coherent or, like, the way it was, like, filmed or whatever. It it would be kind of obvious if it wasn't. Mm -hmm. More on that later as well. Okay. Just a little side sprinkle. So, back to 1978. Crane is now in Scottsdale, Arizona, performing at the theater company um, for Beginner's Luck and on June 29th, 1978, one of Crane's co-stars, her name's Victoria Berry, goes to his apartment because he failed to show up for a meeting. Mm. There she finds the body of Bob Crane. He had been... Content warning by the graphic... Mm. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> you can... I don't know. I mean, it's true crime. I think people know. Anyway, he had been bludgeoned to death and he was found with an electrical cord tied around his neck. They could only recognize one side of his face. Oh, my God. He was 49 years old and he was two weeks away from being 50. So two days prior to his death, he had called his son, uh, his oldest son, Robert, and they chatted and... He told his son that he was two weeks shy of being 50 and he was going to make changes. So he told Robert that he was going to divorce his wife, Patricia, and he wanted to cut ties with people like John Carpenter, who had become a pain in his butt, apparently. And he just wanted a clean slate. He's like, you know what? Like, I don't know if it was a midlife crisis or he was like, he was tired of what he was doing, like whether it was he was feeling bad about, you know, the shows he was doing he didn't like the roles or he wanted to take a different direction it's it's hard to say but he did have this conversation with his son allegedly Mm -hmm. at the time scottsdale police department was really small and they weren't really well equipped to handle a crime this big they didn't even have a homicide division so this is in Arizona? Yeah. Okay. So this all happened in Scottsdale. Gotcha. In the apartment, police found no signs of forced entry. There was nothing missing of financial value. And there was blood everywhere. There oh was like God. blood on the door exit, the front door, the doorknob, on the curtains, the pillows. Like it was everywhere. So oh it's God. pretty gruesome. There they found the extensive tape collections, and it led them to Carpenter. And one website that I was reading an article from made it super dramatic, and they're like, Carpenter, his partner in porn. (laughs) 
I mean, yeah. Anyway. So what's weird about it is Carpenter did not live in Arizona at the time, but so he just happened to fly into Phoenix four days before. Curious. Um, and he was staying at a hotel nearby. So when police went to investigate, they searched Carpenter's rental car and they actually found a little bit of blood. But this is 1978. Mm. So DNA was not a thing yet. However, they could determine that the blood type was type B, which was the same as Bob's. Mm. However, there was really nothing else that they could go off, off of, unfortunately, because there was no murder weapon. And they couldn't issue a arrest warrant, so they let Carpenter go. That always happens. Yeah, I know. It's so frustrating. Uh, it's like there's blood everywhere. It's right. Like, what? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, so... Fast forward to 1992, 12 years later. Holy cow. I, isn't that weird? <laughs> a Scottsdale detective, his name is Jim Rains, he reopened the case. And although a DNA test of the blood was found inconclusive, Rains it did go through previously like unseen photos. Or he was reexamining them from the crime scene. And he found in a picture of carpenter's car his rental car it looked like there was a speck of brain tissue um oh my god i don't know why i'm on like a brain thing (laughs) these last couple days um and it looked like there was a speck of brain tissue so obviously the tissue was gone after all this time so like they couldn't test it or determine if that's what it really was however it was enough for a judge to rule rule it as admissionable Mm -hmm. so john was charged with first degree murder and he was sent to trial wow now robert bob crane's son brought up that he you know based on the the phone call it seemed as if they tried to end the friendship shortly before the murder and he thought that carpenter was likely not able to handle like their breakup um i don't know if it was just because like because of like the tapes or because he you know whatever it may be he just thought like he could not handle the like cutting ties with him and he like freaked out Mm -hmm. they thought you know because carpenter did at the time like work with film and equipment or whatever that maybe the murder weapon could have been a tripod oh uh, because nothing was ever found Mm -hmm. but and that would link it to carpenter because of his career but that was just a a speculation so that also couldn't be proved or disproved Mm -hmm. um carpenter's attorney said that it was circumstantial and inconclusive and that they were still good friends like you know they tried to say that you know, maybe they still, like, were able to work it out or, like, they were still buddies and he had no idea. Like, maybe he didn't even bring up, like, what? No, like, we're still friends. Or mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, there was no proof of that either. Um, it's all kind of like he said, she said. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Carpenter's attorneys also said that the photo of the brain tissue and along with that photo, the police department 
and their samples and the evidence were all like sloppy work because there was mishandling or misplaced evidence like why did this photo just come up or Mm -hmm. like why wasn't things taken it you know they kind of played it because it was a small department so it wasn't as like polished as it could have been Mm -hmm. and plus like if there really was brain tissue there like why didn't they collect it like why didn't they do a good enough job to be able to find that Mm -hmm. so they also said because like so many tapes and so many photos of women were uncovered you know a lot of women like obviously didn't talk about it until it was uncovered and it's kind of like anything like oh like I like had sex with him or what Mm -hmm. like and a lot of no only one woman came and said that she was unaware that Mm -hmm. she was being filmed Mm -hmm. so I don't know if she like said that because she was like embarrassed or Mm -hmm. if she was like trying to you know how people like come up Mm -hmm. and say things when celebrities get caught in like some sort of scandal or Mm -hmm. whatever it is even if it isn't a scandal Mm -hmm. so only one came and said so it that furthered that it was you know consensual so Mm -hmm. to that point from earlier yeah um however because all of these were surfacing and everything, it could have been a lover um, of, like, one of the women who, like, found out. Or it could have been a woman who is fearing, like, it would be used as blackmail or she was she didn't want it. So she, like, came. Or it could have been a case where she, like, became obsessed with him. And he was just like, no, this is just, like, a casual thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she, like, either wanted the fame or whatever. But, like, no women that I could read, like, came up and... Uh, So that was just also a speculation of the defense. So that said, because there was no, like, solid evidence, Carpenter was acquitted, and he maintained his innocence until the day he died in 1998. One other theory was it was his wife, Patricia, whether it was she was jealous that he was having these affairs, even though, you know, they came off from an affair, but that's none of my business. Mm-hmm. Um, or because in his will, the entire estate was left to her. So oh. that is something that is also a theory. Like, mm-hmm. very interesting. But the police didn't really look into this very seriously. Why? I guess they were just so like, oh, it's Carpenter. Oh, wow. So uh, that was something that their son had brought up. He thought it was his stepmom. Yeah. It was also, I read one article. I didn't really dig into this part, but Bob's body was buried somewhere, and then she, like, moved it to a different, like, plot without telling the family so she she could be buried with him. I You can edit that out because it's not really a whole mm-hmm. lot, but it was just something, like, a mm-hmm. little interesting. But to this day, it remains unsolved. Recently, in 2016, which sounds recent, I guess it's not, but the Maricopa County Attorney's Office permitted a reporter from Phoenix by the name of John Hook to submit the blood samples from the rental car that they still had for testing since they did have more advanced technology. Oh, yeah. So the DNA did have two sequences that were identified. One was an unknown male, and the other was too degraded to be conclusive. So they don't know, like, who the male was or anything. Mm -hmm. So 
all of the DNA was used up and now it's impossible to do further tests. Wow. So in 2002, there was a movie about the murder called Autofocus. I, uh, uh, one thing, it, it tells the story of Bob and how he was like, you know, a God-loving man and blah, 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 and like his fame or whatever. But one of his sons, I, I don't remember which one, but said like, my dad had only been to church three times when he was baptized, when he was married, and when he died. It was like, so. <laughs> I mean. So they're like, he wasn't like this God loving. I don't yeah. know. So it kind of framed it a little differently, but mm. I guess it wasn't like horrible, but. I've never heard of it. I hadn't either. So that is the unsolved murder of Bob Crane. That's so interesting. I know. Because there's like more than one suspect that seems like they could have done it yeah and now we'll never know we'll never know so that's kind of sad unsolved murders really get me yeah it's like there's no there's just so many there's always more questions than answers and it's just it's right. sad like i mean bob wasn't a perfect guy but did he need to be murdered no i mean it was probably someone he knew right since well that's why it they because there was no force of entry, and yeah. especially the point to where, like, nothing of value was stolen. Right. So it's, like, unless, like, the person did it and freaked out and, like, ran. But at the same yeah. time, it's, like, I I also think it was definitely personal because of how badly beaten mm-hmm. he was. Yeah. So it's frustrating because, you know, if they had the technology at the time, they mm-hmm. they definitely could have, like, pinpointed it. But it's just frustrating because it's, like, there was literally so much blood. Oh, my God. Right. They can't do anything with it. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah, super sad. But if you want, we can watch Hogan's Heroes. It looks kind of interesting. <laughs> sure, let's do it. <laughs> we can watch an episode, but... Um, yeah. Well, thanks. Of that was course. super interesting. I've never heard of him before. You know, it's funny. I hadn't either. Like, I'd never seen the show, really. I didn't know what it was about, but I was actually... I I have a big library in my head of, of true crime because I'm very interested in that and paranormal, so I'm always, like, flipping through things. And there's these, like, three stories I've been wanting to cover, but I never do because I always have, like, something else come up. So I literally learned about it today. I was like, okay, I'm going to cover it. Where did you find out about it? I googled <laughs> true crime unsolved oh, cases or whatever. Wow. So, I don't know. Interesting. I bet my grandparents know about Hogan's Heroes or my yeah. parents. Yeah, because, I mean, my parents would have been in their late teens. Mm. No? Well, my parents probably watched it. I'm sure they yeah, did. But, I'm sure mine did, too. Um, I can ask them, but... Yeah. Um, if you've watched it, let us know. Email <laughs> us at the I'm sure my Report mom will. Yeah. At she's, our, she's our most loyal listener. Um, who do you think did it? I think it's John Carpenter. I Okay, so here's an interesting theory I yeah. have. What's your theory? I think that they were secretly lovers. <gasps> and oh. when he tried to break up with John, mm-hmm. I don't know. I... Like, that's just something that I thought, like, mm. I don't know. But I think maybe that was it. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. But I guess over, like, 200 photos were found, and there was, like, so many. Like, a, he was addicted to sex. He so, was. wait, so John was the one filming, right? Yeah. Okay. I Like, I don't know if, like, he joined in sometimes. Like, I didn't. 
obviously try to look at them or yeah. anything, but I said that weird. I look at them. I didn't, you know, I didn't dive into that. I just know that he did film, you know, the, the, the people doing their things. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. I don't know if he joined in as well or, uh-huh. you know, who knows? I, I, I'm not going to dive into that, but um, if you guys want, I guess, go ahead. But, um, let me show you a picture of him. I guess you wouldn't know about him, though, because he only had that, like, one kind of claim to fame, I guess. Yeah. And, well, I mean, that's a little picture of him in the corner, because... Bob Crane. Bob Crane. Not Ichabob Crane. Oh. But Bob Different. Crane. Different, yeah. He was born July 13th, 1928. He died. He was a cancer. He was a cancer. So... Yeah, true crime's always interesting, always sad, always always yeah. leaves with more questions than anything. So Yeah. Wow. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have a suggestion for a future episode, if you have a comment, if you want to say hi, or if you want to submit your own personal report, you can email us at theinsomniareport at gmail.com. Would you like to tell them where they can find us? If they want to be social? Yes, please be social. We're craving social interaction. Whoa! (laughs) Well, we've been in our apartment for so long. Oh, well, that's why the ghost has been popping up. They're like, I hear that you're lonely. Right. (laughs) Boo. Boo. Um... Yes, follow us on Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, and Facebook at The Insomnia Report. And we would love to give credit to the artists that have helped us. Our theme music is composed by Colin Whitlish, and music production is by Justin Toom. And our cover art is by Erica Chase. I'm Margo. I'm Elizabeth. Tune in next week for our wild card episode. Who knows what we'll talk about? It could be anything. It- no idea what it could be anything so anything anything stay sleepy go to bed or good morning if i don't know i don't know what time of day you're listening to this but i hope it's wonderful i hope you have a great day ahead wash your hands be nice to people yes (laughs) (laughs) i I never know how to end these so all right good night good night